Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're beginning a new sermon series today about how God chooses and uses regular people. And so many times we see God working in the Bible through ordinary people using ordinary things. Sometimes we take it for granted, we're so familiar with these stories that these individuals or these events or these things can become bigger than life. But when you go back and you think about the context of many of these events, you'll find some very regular people using some regular things for the glory of God. We go back to David and Goliath. David was a regular shepherd boy who slew a giant with a regular ordinary sling and an ordinary stone. Going into the Gospels, you see Jesus, he fed the 5,000 using an ordinary lunch of five loaves and two fishes uh, of an ordinary boy. When you think about some of the prophets, Elisha, some of the miracles that he did, there was a, a, an event where a widow woman had come to Elisha and she said, uh, I need your help. Uh, she, she was a widow, her husband had passed away, she had some kids, and, and she said, we don't, we don't have anything, we don't have any money, and the creditors, uh, they're going to take my boys away. I, I don't know what to do. And so he asked her, what do you have? What do you have? And she said, the only thing that I have is a little cruise of oil. I just have a little tiny container with some oil in it. That's all that's left in the house. And he said, all right, God can use that. And so he, he said to the widow woman, go to all of your neighbors, go to all of your friends, get as many containers as you possibly can. So she went to all of her neighbors, grabbed all these pots, all of these vessels, all of these containers, anything that she could find. She got everything that she could find and she came to Elisha and said, Elisha, okay, I got, I got the containers. What do I do? She said, all right, you're going to close the doors, you're going to take the cruise of oil, and you're going to pour it out into each of those vessels. And God miraculously multiplied that oil and filled up all of those vessels. And she, she did that until finally she said, all right, bring me another container, boys. And the boys were like, we don't have any more containers. And that's when the miracle stopped. And she, she went to Elisha and said, all right, I did that. And all of them are full. What do we do now? He said, go sell it. Go sell all the oil, pay off all of your debts, and live off of the rest. You see that God used an ordinary vessel of oil, ordinary containers, an ordinary person in order to accomplish his glory. Sometimes we think that God only uses gold and silver vessels. But God uses ordinary things. And God uses ordinary people. One of the greatest examples of how God shuns the extraordinary and selects the ordinary is the life of Moses. When you think about some of the great individuals in the Bible, Moses is one of the ones that comes first to mind. And Moses was a great man. In Egypt, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He would have had all of the top-notch education, all of the power, all of the money, all of the influence, all of the connections to anybody that was important in the country. He would have been able to be connected to them, but God didn't use any of those things. God didn't use that top-notch education. He didn't use the power of Moses' hand. He didn't use all of the people that he knew in Egypt. God didn't use Moses of Pharaoh's house. God used Moses as a regular lowly shepherd out in the desert to lead his people. And in this series, we're going to take a look specifically at the disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at these individuals, John, James, 
We're going to take a look at Peter. We're going to take a look at Andrew. We're going to take a look at these disciples and notice how ordinary they were. Because God is not like Harvard University, only accepting the best and the brightest. Because God is looking for ordinary. And God chooses the ordinary. And God uses the ordinary. Now, we have to stop before we get any further and ask why. Why does God only use the ordinary? Well, we read some of these verses, and I believe that it gives an indication as to why. So the context here of the verses that we read earlier was Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had some physical ailment that was given to him, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, God, would you remove this physical problem in my life? He prayed for it three times, and the response that God gave back to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The emphasis that Jesus is giving to Paul is, it's not about your strength, it's about my strength. And if we're going to be used of God, it's not about our strength, it's about the strength of the Lord. That's why the extraordinary or the special things in our lives can be such a hindrance to the Christian walk. Because when we think that we're so smart, we think, I don't need God, I'm pretty smart. When we have a lot of power, when we have a lot of influence, when we have a lot of money, the tendency is to think, well, I, I can do it on my own. And, and God says, no, 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 I want this to be about me. God wants this to be about the Lord. And even Christ, when he first came, he came not as the king that he was and is, but as a lowly, regular, ordinary carpenter's son. He was crucified, he was killed, even though he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, now one day he will come to rule and reign, but when he first came, he came as a humble servant and as a sacrifice. Because people in this world, they're looking for something special, right? Isn't that what people look for? That's what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 22. He says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. You know what the Jews and the Gentiles were looking for? They were looking for something special. They're looking for somebody who's got it. Somebody who's amazing. Somebody who's incredible. And Paul is coming in here and he's preaching Christ. And they're thinking, there's nothing special about Christ. He was crucified. Verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world, the ordinary things, the regular things to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confuse the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know why God wants to use regular, ordinary people? Because he wants us regular, ordinary people to say, it wasn't me, it was God. 
Uh, I'm nobody special. I've got no special abilities, but God has some special abilities. God has all power. God can do these things. And in fact, if you think that you are ordinary and just a regular believer in Christ, God can use you. And so oftentimes it's those that think that they are extraordinary, that they are special, that God cannot use them. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4 says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. You know what Paul's saying? Anybody in the world who thinks that they're special, I'm the most special of all the special people, right? I'm the most extraordinary of all the extraordinary people in the world. In verse number five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if, if, if there was a spiritual Harvard that would accept people, I would be at the top of the list. I'd be number one accepted into this place. But what he says in verse number seven is, but what things were gained to me, those things that I thought were special about me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know what makes believers special? What makes believers special is not that we're so smart, not that we're so powerful, not that we're so influential, and not that we're so rich. What makes us special is that we have Christ. That's what makes us special. That's what makes the difference in our life. When we are lost, we are ordinary people. When we are saved, we are still ordinary people, but the difference is that we have Christ. And this series focuses on 12 regular people that Jesus Christ handpicked to be his disciples. And today we're going to take a look at the life of Peter. Peter's name was actually Simon. He was born as Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, but he was born as Simon. Simon was a regular person. He was ordinary. In fact, the name Simon is an ordinary name. In the Gospels, there are seven individuals other than Simon that are also named Simon. Right? You know about Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. She had four other sons. She had four sons, one of them, was Simon. Out of the 12 disciples, we know about Peter, James, and John. There's Simon, Peter, James, and John. Out of the 12, there's another person named Simon. We know Jesus went to the home of Simon the leper. We know that Jesus went to the home of Simon the Pharisee. We know that Jesus, when he was on his way to be crucified, remember, somebody was called out to help him to carry the cross. It was a man of Cyrene. His name was Simon. Even with the name, we see that Simon was a very ordinary person. Simon was an ordinary commercial fisherman. He lived on the, sea, uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he made a very ordinary living supporting him and his wife. He would spend nights out in the sea, casting his net out there, catching fish, and bringing them to shore in the morning, counting them out, you know, selling the fish, cleaning the nets, getting ready for the next day of work. He would sleep during the day, and then he would get back out there at night and start and go fishing again. That was his very regular, ordinary life. So all of this is to say 
that while all of us, I'm sure, are familiar with Peter and familiar with the, the words of Peter, the life of Peter, Peter was actually a very ordinary person. He was married. He had a job. He was thinking about growing his career. He used to be uh, uh, in the city. He was from the city of Bethsaida on the Sea of Galilee, a little town. He wanted to maybe expand his business, maybe grow a little bit. So he moved down to Capernaum, a little bit bigger town on the sea. And he was just a, he, he was just a regular, ordinary person. John chapter 15, verse number 5 makes this clear. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, ye can do nothing. So we're going to take a look at the life of Peter. Peter is the leader of the disciples, as I'm sure many of you know. He is the first listed. Whenever you see the full list of the disciples, you see that Peter is at the top of the list. He is the spokesperson. And I want to see how God builds leaders out of regular, ordinary people. From the life of Peter, we learn three actions of regular, ordinary believers that God uses to spiritually lead others. The first of which is spiritual leaders progress. Peter could be a leader because he was willing to grow. He was willing to mature because where he was today, he knew would not be sufficient for tomorrow. There's been a debate about whether leaders are born or whether leaders are made. And while Peter certainly would have fit that category of having some character traits that would have made him a natural leader, you could kind of see that through the gospel accounts. What we also know is that leadership talents don't necessarily lead to good leadership, especially spiritual leadership. The Pharisees had all of the qualities of leadership. They were smart, they were intelligent, they were influential, and yet Jesus calls them the blind leaders of the blind. So no matter who a person is when he is born, if he will be a leader, he must grow. That's the thing about it. Everybody can grow. Amen? Amen. We can all grow. That's why all of us have an opportunity to be a leader in some way, shape, or form because all of us can grow. Spiritual leaders, they grow in comprehension. In the gospel accounts, Peter asks more questions than all the other apostles combined. When you read through the gospels and you see that sometimes the disciples would have questions, they would ask different questions, Peter is the one who is recorded having asked more questions than all the other 11 combined. There was something about Peter that was curious. There was something about Peter that wanted to learn and wanted to grow. It was usually Peter who would ask Jesus, Jesus, we hear that you, you, you give this you know, parable. Are you speaking about us or are you speaking about somebody else? What does this parable mean? It was Peter who, would, who, who asked about, well, how often do we need to forgive? Can I forgive somebody up to seven times? Remember Jesus' response? I say not seven times, but what? Seventy times seven. That was Peter who asked that question. It was Peter who asked when there was a rich man who had come to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, you know what the law says, and gave him some of the Ten Commandments. And he said, all of those things have I done from my youth. And Jesus said, one thing thou lackest, go sell all that thou hast and come and follow me. You know, and, and so there's a situation, and, and Peter is there, and afterwards he says, all right, we have given up everything. What do we get? <laughs> What's our reward for having given up everything? That was Peter who would ask the question. It was Peter who would often ask questions, and, and sometimes, if I'm honest, I've been in situations where I don't even know what to ask. You ever been there? You ever have, like, a teacher ask? Does anybody have any questions? 
And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even know what questions to ask. I don't understand anything that you're saying, and I don't even know where to start. Oh, maybe my question is, yes, I don't understand anything. Can you explain everything to me again? You know, I've been in those situations. And sometimes you don't even know where to begin to ask questions. And that's why you need to learn. The more you learn, the more you realize, oh, what are the questions I need to ask? And the more that you know, the more that you realize, you don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the Bible says. What does this passage mean? What does God, what does God try, you know, what is he trying to say to me? And what does he want me to do? Spiritual leaders are curious and they ask questions because they want to know. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, you've got to want to learn and to learn more of the Bible. A spiritual leader is going to be one who says, you know what, I want to know what the Bible says. I want to learn what God has to say about heaven, about hell, about what does he say about this life that we live in? What should we do in this matter? What about the cultural you know, issues that we're facing? You know, this past week, we all heard about the Supreme Court and Roe versus Wade. We all heard about that. And we as Christians need to know, all right, what does the Bible say about life, about conception, about, uh, 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 about abortion, all of these things. What does that mean? We, we all need to know these things, and we all, gotta, we all have to ask, what does the Bible have to say about this matter? What does the Bible have to say about my life, about my career, about how I handle my finances? One author uh, kind of put it this way, don't be content with what you don't know. Don't be happy to remain ignorant about what you don't understand. And don't be comfortable with problems you haven't solved. So keep growing. Spiritual leaders grow. They want to mature. They want to learn. They want to be able to comprehend even more. And that's something about everybody. Here, we all have the opportunity to grow and to learn. That's why we're here. Amen? I hope that you're here thinking, you know what? I'm here on a Sunday morning because I want to learn. And I want to grow. And I need to know more of what God says. And I, I want to learn these things. That's a big part of why we gather here on a Sunday morning. We gather in Life Connection classes following the service. We have a Sunday evening service and Wednesday service. What is that all about? It's because we want to learn more about what God has to say. Spiritual leaders also learn to grow in continuation. We take it for granted that Peter was there from the beginning to the end. Because, of course, when we were born and we received the word of God, we knew the end of the story, right? The whole story had been written. But we shouldn't take it for granted that he was there from the beginning to the end because there were many other disciples that didn't make it to the end. John chapter 6, verse number 66 says, From that time, many of his, uh, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Oh, there were many other disciples that were following Jesus, but beginning at that point, after Jesus had given some hard sayings, they begin to say, oh, maybe I don't want to follow this Jesus anymore. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Everybody else is leaving, you're going to leave too? Verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So even though there were many other disciples, many of them left behind, so much so that Jesus said to the twelve, all right, everybody else is leaving. Are you going to leave too? And Peter said, if we leave you, where are we going to go? <laughs> you're the ones with eternal life. We believe that you're Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. There's nowhere else to go. And Peter had decided, this is the Christ, and I'm going to follow him. That's what spiritual leaders do. Spiritual leaders say, Jesus is the Christ, 
I'm going to follow him. When, when there's opportunities to turn aside, we're going to say, if I don't follow you, who am I going to follow? You're the ones with eternal life. You're the one who is the son of God. You're the one that I'm going to follow. In fact, in the end, out of the 12, one of them also didn't make it. The very next verse says that Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he, or for he it was that should betray him, being one of the 12. So out of all of these disciples, we don't know exactly how many, many of them left behind, were left behind. They, they decided that they were going to go somewhere else, follow something else. Peter was asked, all the disciples were asked, are you going to go too? And he said, I have nowhere else to go. I'm going to follow you. Because leaders know life is a marathon and not a sprint. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul describes the Christian life as a race. And it's not just a short race, a long race, right? If you think about the 100-meter sprint, the 100-meter sprint is a short race. Because it's a short race, if you're going to win the race, you've got to get off to a fast start. And runners, sprinters, they spend a lot of time focusing in on that start. How do I position myself on the block? How do I, you know, prepare myself so as soon as the gun goes off, I'm off and running? What's the technique that I have to get off the blocks as quickly as possible so that I can make it to the end of that race in first place? They focus a lot of time on the beginning. Now, when you consider a marathon, I don't know if you've ever seen a marathon, if you ever watched these people at the beginning of a marathon, they don't look anything like those sprinters, you know? The sprinters, they're down on their hands, you know, you've seen it, you know, they got their feet on the blocks, their hands are down, you know, they're poised and ready, and they're going to launch off. When you see uh, somebody about to run a marathon, you know what they do? They start like this, and when they say, runner's ready, they do this. This is their starting position, because they know the beginning's not that important. You know what's important? It's the end is being able to finish the race. They know that finishing the marathon is not just about speed, it's about endurance. It's about continuing. It's about making it to the end. Next week, we're going to celebrate the church's 35th anniversary. And alongside of the church's 35th anniversary, we're going to celebrate Pastor Choi being here, having started the church for 35 years. 35 years. And we shouldn't take it for granted that Pastor Choi has made it 35 years because 35 years at a church is not that common. Maybe you've been here in this church your whole life, but if you've been to other churches and visited other churches, maybe you were members of other churches, you'll know 35 years at one church is not that common. It's pretty uncommon. 35 years in ministry is uncommon. It's not that common to see people continuing, enduring, being faithful in ministry. And that's what leadership is about. You need to have that endurance. And that's the thing about it is all of us, we can all continue to be faithful. Amen? We can decide next week, I'm going to be here. Next month, I'm going to be here. Next year, I'm going to keep serving God. The year after that, I'm going to keep on serving God. Maybe the way that you serve God, the role of your ministry will be different, but you can determine, you know what? I'm going to continue to follow Christ. And guess what? If you continue to follow Christ, you'll become a leader. <laughs> you'll be able to tell others, this is what I did when I was in your place. This is how I was able to endure through this tough time in my life. If you just continue to decide to be faithful. But in terms of growing, 
leaders must also grow in character. See, when people think of leaders, they often think of the smartest, most charismatic, most eloquent person in the room, right? We ask people, who's a leader? They think about the person who's got, he's got that demeanor of a leader. He's, he's got the, the, those words. He's so much smarter than everybody else. He's got charisma that is beyond what anybody else has. And sometimes when people think of leaders, that's the kind of person that they think about. And when they think about themselves, they think, well, I'm not the smartest person, and, or I'm not the most eloquent person, and I'm not the most charismatic person, so how could I be a leader? But more than anything else, leaders must have character. Because leadership is less about what you do and more about who you are. How many brilliant business leaders have fallen from leadership because they lack character? How many politicians had great potential but fell from leadership because they lacked character? How many charismatic pastors have fallen from leadership because they lacked character? How many people have we grown up thinking, well, that guy, he's going to grow up and be somebody special. Well, that person, he's got some great potential there. And then you grow up and then you find out what happened. Oh, they had great potential, but they lacked character. See, not everybody can have that genius IQ, but everybody can have character. Everybody can have character. Everybody can have what it is that's inside of them that matters most. And Peter, we see, grew in character. We see that he grew to have a submissive humility. The worldly expectation of a leader is that he is in charge and demands that others submit to him. But a godly leader is an example of submission to God. They have to learn to accept correction and discipline and admit and confess to the Lord, God, I was wrong. I did wrong. And you see Peter having instances, displaying his pride and demanding his way. No, this is what I want, and this is, this is how you should do things. And you see that Jesus Christ has to rebuke him. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So here is Jesus describing, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be uh, uh, put into the, the, the charge of the Roman soldiers. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to be crucified. But after three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Peter, in verse number 22, says, then Peter took him. <laughs> right? So here is Jesus teaching the disciples. And then Peter is thinking, what are you doing, Jesus? And he took him, grabbed him by the arm and said, Jesus. What are you saying? <laughs> he says there in verse 22, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen unto thee. He's saying, Jesus, no way. That's not what's going to happen. That can't happen. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here is Jesus saying, This is what I want. And Peter says, No, that's not what I want. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me. He needed to learn to grow in humility. It wasn't about what Peter thought was the best idea. It wasn't about Peter's way of doing things. It was about God's way of doing things. And he had to grow in submission to that, in humility. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. 
He's saying, all right, I'm going to be crucified. All of you will be scattered, but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go to Galilee and you meet me over there. That's what he's saying. Peter answered and said to him, though all men should be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus, I know you said that, but you can't possibly be talking about me. That's not right. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, before the rooster crows in the morning time, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. You see, Peter saying, No, I know who I am. I know what's going to happen. But Peter had to grow in humility. He had to grow in submission to the Lord. He writes in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Do you see how Peter, he went through these experiences? Do you see how he was, he was, he was the one rebuking Jesus, and Jesus had to turn around and rebuke him and say, No, Peter, Peter, you're out of line. Peter, your way is not my way. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. He's saying, no, Peter, this is not right. What you're doing is not right. And you see in his letter, he writes, hey, we need to be humble. <laughs> we need to be submissive. We need to follow God. He also grew to have self-control because if you know Peter, Peter had a tendency to be impulsive, right? Just whatever he thought, that's the first thing that came out of his mouth. And he would just jump at it without really thinking about it. But godly leaders need to have restraint. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 50, as Judas comes to betray him, Jesus said unto him, to Judas, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So here is Judas comes, he gives him a kiss on the cheek, and he betrays him, and the Roman soldiers, they come to grab him, and behold, one of them which were with Jesus, we know this to be Peter from another account, stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his sword. So the Roman soldiers, they come to grab Jesus. And Peter says, ah, this is my moment. He pulls out his sword and he slashes it at one of the servants. And the servant dodges, but not totally, and his ear is cut off. Then said Jesus unto him, put again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. Even in that moment, Jesus had to turn to Peter and to rebuke him and say, no, this is not the time. This is not the time. And you know that Peter, he learned to grow in self-control. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 6, he gives this list of what to add. Add to your faith knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. That word temperance there means self-control. Self-control. First Peter chapter 2 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was, sin, was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So we know that Peter, he had to learn and grow in self-control. He had to grow in this servant-minded compassion. John chapter 13, we're, we're not going to read the verses here, but you can write down some of the verses. Here is Jesus. He's giving the, the Lord's Supper. He's giving that uh, ordinance, and he's going to wash the feet of the disciples. He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's going around person to person, and he gets around to Peter, and Peter says, Peter, or Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, are you washing my feet? 
And Jesus says, basically, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. And Peter says, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I wash, thou, uh, uh, wash thee not, thou hast no part of me. All right, so Jesus is getting around, and Peter says, no, 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 this is not, this is not right. Jesus says, I, you need to understand later, you'll understand later what I'm doing here. And a couple verses later, he says, so after he had washed their feet and had taken their garments, he was set down again, and he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. We know that Peter, he learned later, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Verse number 10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If we are going to grow as leaders, we must be servant-minded. That must be our attitude. And and Peter was able to grow in all of these areas. See, God can use ordinary people because God can help you to grow. Maybe you think, oh, there's no way I could do that today. And maybe that would be true. But you could take another step today. And you could, you could grow in an area today. You could follow God a little bit more fervently today. We also see the spiritual leaders, they participate. Because real leaders, they don't sit on the sidelines. They get involved. See, real leaders, they don't sit in, in the bleachers and yell out like spectators from the sidelines. They're not even coaches giving instruction from the bench. Real leaders get out there in the field with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the things about Peter. Peter was not one to sit on the sidelines. Peter was one to get involved. One writer said it this way, a true leader goes through life with a cloud of dust around him. Meaning, he's not content to just stay where he is. He wants to go move and go do something. And a lot of people, they know a lot about what a Christian should do, but not as many know what it means to be a Christian. Meaning this, it's one thing to learn about something. It's another thing to go out there and do it. And if you're going to be a godly leader, you cannot be a leader if all you know is what you've read in a textbook. You've got to get out there and do it yourself. Real leaders participate. Because no matter how much you learn about something, until you get out there and do it, you don't really know it. You don't really understand it. And you can't help other people to really understand it. Imagine riding on a roller coaster, right? You could watch all the videos you want, about roller coasters. You could read books about roller coasters. You could talk to people who have ridden on roller coasters, but until you ride the roller coaster, you don't know what it's like, right? You don't know what it's like sitting there in that little chair with that flimsy little bar <laughs> as it's clicking slowly up, click, 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 going up, anticipating, looking around, thinking, what am I doing here? You get all the way up to the top and the clicking stops. And just sitting there. And then it slowly goes down, and you look down. Oh, that's where I'm going. And then you go there, and then you fall. There's no substitute for that feeling of falling, right? You can watch a video, but it's not the same, right? You ever see, sometimes people have those videos where they want to record everything. You know, they're on the roller coaster, they're, you know, it's so bouncing and jumbly. But 
you can't simulate that feeling of falling. Personal experience has no substitute. If you're going to be a leader, you have to participate. And that's the thing about ordinary people. Anybody can participate. Amen? Amen. Anybody can get involved. There's nobody here that says, oh, no, I'm disqualified from participating. There's no way I could get involved. God says, no, everybody can be involved. If you're saved and a member of Bible Baptist Church, you're a part of the body. That means you have, a, you have something to do. You have a role here. There's no useless body parts. Every body part has a place. So we can all participate. Because if you don't participate, you don't really know. I mentioned this rec recently that I picked up a new hobby. I don't know if it's a hobby or not. I don't know if I'm really enjoying it so much, but I'm learning golf, okay? All right. If you've ever tried to learn golf, you know how frustrating golf is. I've tried to learn golf. And uh, so, you know, as per usual, if I'm going to try to learn something, I go online and I start looking for things. So I started looking and I went on YouTube and I went on Instagram and I started looking for all of these golf coaches, all right? And so these golf coaches, they give you these tips. This is how you hold the club. This is how you swing the club. This is how you move. This is how you, you know, keep your head here and do all of these things. And this is how you swing the club. This is what you do. All, all of that stuff. So I was watching and watching and watching and watching and watching. And I was at home, you know, you see those people, you know, they're practicing, you know, and, you know, they don't have a club or anything. And so I was doing all of those things. And then I went to the range. I went to the range and everything I tried didn't work. <laughs> and I was like, there's something that's not quite right, because I know everything there is to know about swinging a golf club, right? I learned it all. And then I tried to get out there and do it, and I realized this is a little bit different. Knowing something in your head and getting out there and doing it is a different thing. And I was quite humble, because when you go to the golf range, everybody can see where your ball's going, <laughs> right? Everybody can see who is that guy, the ball's going all over the place, you know, we're hitting the ball straight, and this guy, what is he doing over there? And that's kind of how I felt, and I went home, and I was thinking, boy, I got a lot to learn. That's what I realized. I have a lot to learn. And that's the thing about leaders, is leaders, they want to grow, they want to learn, but if they're really going to learn, they're going to get out there and try to do it. When you get out there and try to do it, and you realize, oh, this is a little bit different from what I really thought. Uh, it, it, it's not quite as simple as the video shows and makes it out to be. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult than I imagined it to be. That's one of the reasons why you should have grace with other Christians. You might look at a Christian and think, oh, that person's not doing such a good job. He should do this, 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 and this, and, and, and you need to make all these corrections. Why don't you wait until you're in that position first before you go around? Because it's very difficult to do some of the things, and then you get out there and you realize, whoa, this is a lot more difficult than I thought. Mike Tyson famously has a quote that said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, <laughs> right? Oh, it sounds so easy and simple in your head, and then you get out there in the ring and somebody's punching you in the mouth, and you're like, you forget everything that you were supposed to do. It can be very difficult, but leaders are willing to get involved and participate. That's the thing about ordinary people. Anybody can participate. God wants you to participate. So we see that spiritual leaders, they progress. Spiritual leaders, they participate. And spiritual leaders, they also pioneer. Peter was the one who asked the most questions, as we mentioned. Peter is also the one who answered the most questions. And isn't it interesting, the one who asked the most questions had the most answers. Now, he wasn't always right, but oftentimes he did. 
Peter was also willing to step out when others didn't step out. He was the one to step out of the boat. He was the one to follow Christ and, and do some of these things. And, and stepping out in faith as a leader requires participation in getting involved. Sometimes you think, there's no way I could do what that person is doing. And maybe from where you are to where another Christian might be, you would think, there's no way I could get there. But godly leaders begin with growing. I'm not going to get there in one leap, but I could take 10 tiny steps to get there. And as you grow, you learn. As you learn, you make progress. As you make progress, you get to where they are. And soon you're out there at the edge, having learned, having grown, and thinking, well, if nobody else is going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to do something. I'm going to start. I'm going to take a step out. Many of you might be familiar with the calling of Peter by Jesus. If you read in Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus is, is uh, walking along the seashore, and uh, Peter is fishing, and he's, he's back on the shore cleaning up his nets, and, and Jesus says to Peter, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men, right? Now, if you were to just only know that part, you would think that Peter's just minding his own business. Jesus comes along, a complete stranger, and says, Peter, come and follow me. Okay, and comes and follows him. But that's not exactly how it happened. Because in John chapter number one, we know that Peter's brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ, he said, that is the one that I was talking about. And Andrew from that day went and followed Jesus. Uh, yeah, Andrew went and followed Jesus. Andrew went then to his brother Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. And they went to Jesus, and Jesus there said, Ah, Simon, whom he also named Peter. He went and did ministry with Jesus for a little while before returning back to being a fisherman there on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus then goes to Galilee, is walking along the seashore, and Peter is there, and Jesus looks at Peter. Peter looks at him and says, Come and follow me. Now it's time for you to follow me. So Peter had some experience with Jesus, had seen some miracles before already. He went back to the life and then Jesus came again and said, now it's time to follow me. And Peter left everything behind. He took that one step, which allowed him to take the second step. And if you, take, if you never take that first step, you can never take the second one. On Sunday nights, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel and we just finished recently the, life, uh, uh, the passage of uh, David and Goliath. And if you know the story, David, is, he defeats Goliath, but as he stands before King Saul, and King Saul says, there's no way that you could go and fight Goliath. I mean, you're just a little shepherd boy. This man is a grown man from his youth. He's got experience. He's got all of these things. What, ch what chance do you stand? And he said, well, when I was watching my father's sheep, there came a lion and there came a bear. And God, by the power of God, I was able to slay the lion and the bear, delivered the lamb. And this is what God's going to do to Goliath as well. And so by taking little steps along the way, he got out there to the front of the battlefield and nobody else is taking a step forward and it's just David. You ever wonder how it is that those people can take that step out there? You just think, whoa, David, what a step of faith. I could never take that step of faith. But David didn't take that step of faith from nothing. He was out there in the shepherd field watching the sheep caring for them, protecting them, defeating every single animal that would come his way to try to take the sheep. And he was just taking steps of faith there, in quiet, in private, nobody else was watching. And finally, when he got to that place, then 
He was able to say, hey, you know what? God is powerful. I know God can do it, so I'm going to get out there. And he did. And there was a great victory because of that. So what's the lesson here? If you want to be a pioneer, start small, but start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. If, you, if you've never gotten involved, get involved. Amen? Get involved. If you, you say, I could never do that. Well, are you doing anything? Are you doing something? If you're doing something, take another step. Take another step. Try something a little bit more. It can be something small and simple. Just taking a simple invitation to our church, handing it to a friend that you know, and say, I'd like to, you, I'd like to invite you to my church. We have a special day next week. Next week is July the 3rd. We're celebrating Anniversary Sunday. There's a barbecue for everybody here in attendance. Say, I'd like to take you to a barbecue and a church service as well in the morning. <laughs> Come and visit Bible Baptist Church. We would love to have you. We'd love to see you. You can invite somebody. You can get involved in a, an event like Vacation Bible School. You could come to church and ask, you know, one of the brothers or sisters, hey, I'd like to grab a cup of coffee with you sometime when you get the chance. Let's grab, cup, uh, let's grab some coffee. Okay, if you don't know who to ask, ask me. I love coffee, okay? You don't know, I don't know who to ask. Come and ask me. Brother Richard, would you like to grab a cup of coffee with me? Yes, I would love to grab a cup of coffee with you, all right? I'll go with you, all right? Start somewhere and try to just see what other Christians are doing and ask them, can I help you? Can I help you? Maybe you see somebody, you know, teaching a class. Hey, is there anything I could do for you? Come and see me. Is there anything I could do for you? You see VBS decorations there on the back. People are doing a great job and appreciate everybody who's coming out and, and helping in those ways. And hey, you know what? Just see, hey, can I help you in some way? Is there something that I could do? Come and find a way to be involved, to participate. And as you participate, you'll be able to see some of those things that others don't see. You'll be able to recognize those things. You'll be able to see, hey, you know what? There, there's something here that could be a little bit better. Hey, Brother Richard, hey, I noticed this thing. Is there anybody doing this thing? Oh, we don't have anybody. I'd love to have somebody to do it. Hey, I'll go and do it. I'll go and do it. I'll start it. I'll reach out to these people. I, I, I want to be more effective, and I want to be doing some of these things. And a lot of people are already busy in ministry and, 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 and doing all these different sorts of things, and maybe there just needs to be another person to say, you know what? Hey, there's an opportunity here that I can't just let go by. There's an opportunity here that we have a chance at something. Let's go do it. And if nobody else can do it, I'll go and do it. Where does that kind of spirit come? It comes from a Christian who's willing to grow day by day, step by step, every single day, every single week, every single year, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, growing in character, participating in the ministry and realizing, oh, this is what Jesus meant when he said this, because I, I, I learned it in my head, but then I went out and did it, and was like, wow, this is difficult, and came back and, and tried it again, tried to lead some people, maybe tried to witness to some people, and they have questions that I don't have answers to, and I got to go back to the Word, and, and growing that area, growing as a Christian, getting involved, and growing and growing and growing to the point where you say, you know what, here's an opportunity that nobody else is able to take advantage of, but I'm able to do it. I want to go do it. And that's how you become a leader. Peter was just an ordinary person. If Jesus did not call Peter, Peter would have lived an ordinary, regular life as a fisherman. He would have been born to a fisherman, lived as a fisherman, died as a fisherman, and none of us would have ever heard about him because he was an ordinary person. But because he followed God and God used this ordinary person, we know about this Peter 
through whom God did some amazing, incredible things. Not because Peter was extraordinary, but because God was extraordinary, who used an ordinary person.